Welcome to the Church Leadership Podcast, your weekly source for encouraging and equipping local church leaders with your hosts, Mark Ganey and Andy Frazier. In each episode, Andy and Mark sit down with church leaders that you should know. We believe these honest conversations will be helpful and encouraging to you as you lead the local church. Here is this week's episode. Welcome to today's episode of the Church Leadership Podcast, and uh, we are excited about the conversation we're going to have. Uh, before we get there, though, I, I got to say this. If you're listening to the podcast, you, you really won't, you won't get this, but if you're watching, after two years, for the first time, Andy and I are dressed as twins, and so... Uh, I mean, there's nothing we could do. We're not at home, so we can't change clothes. But uh, we are brothers anyway, so it's bound to happen. But we are excited about today's episode and conversation. Listen, our mission here at the Church Leadership Podcast is to encourage and equip you to lead in the local church. And, uh, you know, you know Annie and I's, we, our hearts uh, for revitalizing churches, for disciple making, and for church planting. And we're going to talk a little about that today. So I'm excited about that. But before we talk about those things, I want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast. You can do it on any podcast listening app or on YouTube. Subscribe to the podcast. We don't want you to miss a single episode, and we're here for you, and so we want you to be a regular part of this. Now, here's today's conversation. We are so glad you've joined us this week on the podcast. We have a special guest with us. Uh, Zach Wyrock from Ohio is joining us, and you're actually in Ohio while we're in Alabama. Thank goodness for technology. That's right. uh, Zach serves there in Ohio at Christ Community Chapel, and he has a heart for church planning. We're going to talk about that today. As a matter of fact, he also serves as the director of, uh, let me get this right, Orchard NEO. Is that right, Zach? Right. Yep, that's right. Okay. All right. Well, Zach, uh, we're glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. And I'm going to just take your word for it that this is not a usual thing, you guys wearing matching shirts. <laughs> yeah, it is. Definitely. And we don't usually match hairstyles either. I don't know if you know that is that, true. So. And we're definitely not there yet. But yeah. I'm well on my way. Well, Zach, we're so we're so excited to have you on the podcast. And um, we have a mutual friend and Ed Litton. Uh, and he's told us a little bit about you, but those listening or watching may may not know Zach Wyrock. And so um, we want you to share a little bit about your story. We talked a little bit before we hit record, but uh, a little bit about your story and how God has has brought you to where you are right there in Ohio. Yeah, no. So I think what I would say is, as I look back over my story uh, in particular, that uh, of course, the Lord has been so gracious to me to include me in the things that he's doing where I, wherever I've been. But I think the Lord has used unrest in my life a lot. You know, as I, I look back uh, my senior year of high school, I uh, experienced a lot of unrest in my own life and, and what the future had. Uh, the Lord used that to actually kind of bring me to himself uh, and, and, and begin a relationship with me. Uh, that was a, a great. Then I went into college, met my wife. Uh, began to work in politics, which is always what I had wanted to do. And uh, I remember that at the same time, I'd started a small group at my local church and uh, it was blowing up and people were coming to Christ, went from you know, three or four people to 40 people. And uh, I remember being in one political meeting with really important people, people you see on, on, on television. And I was daydreaming about my Bible study and, and what I was going to teach. And and the Holy Spirit was just kind of whispering to me, you know, Zach, shouldn't you be daydreaming about, isn't the thing you're daydreaming about the thing you're really passionate about, and began to create unrest in my heart, even though my career was off to a good start, uh, that that was not where I wanted to be. And 
uh, after I went to, ended up going to seminary, after seminary, worked as a youth and college pastor in Illinois at a, um, at a church there and really began to, again, about three years in, feel some unrest. You, you know, this is, this is fine. This is good. But, but this is maybe not what, where I need to be. I uh, had a providential conversation with a guy uh, who was in, in, uh, in charge of church planning in St. Louis uh, for the SBC. And he really challenged me. This unrest is really, you have a vision for a local church. You need to go go start that. The Lord used that to lead me to move to Cleveland, Ohio in 2011 to start a church, uh, began to do that. That, in his grace, went really well. About seven or eight years in, started to feel some unrest. Hey, we've done this in this neighborhood and a couple of other neighborhoods, but what about the region as a whole? How, how, how does this, you know, this church is going to operate in this neighborhood, whether I'm here or not, but what about other neighborhoods? What about the region, the Lord used that unrest to drive me to, uh, towards meeting a guy named Joe Coffey, who's the lead pastor of Christ Community Chapel. And we began talking about creating a, a regional network of church planting to be able to replicate what, what I had seen God do at City Church, the church I planted in Cleveland, all over the region. So, you, you know, just about the, the time the Lord really begins to bless where I'm at in his grace, uh, he also begins to stir up in me a desire to see it happen in new and different ways. And, uh, and, and, and so as I look back, I think, man, two things in my life are constant. One is right about the time things get really good, I get restless. And, and the second thing is uh, whenever I'm there, the Lord is so good to point me in a new direction. And that kind of is my story. It's a great story. As a matter of fact, that's a sounds like a very common story among church planners. I yeah, mean, there's, yeah, a, yeah. there's an entrepreneurial spirit to want to start something new, start something different. And then there's this spirit of unrest. I mean, most guys I know who've been church planning, wherever God's put them, it hasn't taken them long to realize that they can't operate under the norm, or, you know, except status quo. Yeah. Uh, they're always tweaking, changing, you know. Yeah, you know, you know, uh, you know, so. you know it's really interesting when I walked through leaving city church, the church I planted, which as you can imagine was incredibly difficult for my wife and I, we loved the city. We loved the church, best church I've ever been a part of. And that had nothing to do with me. That had to do with all the people that God had brought, you know, some of the guys I was in leadership with were saying, well, Zach, why can't you just be happy that we've gotten where we've gotten? And, and I said to them, you know, if that's who I was, I never would have moved to Cleveland to start a church. Right. That's not who I. And, you know, I do think in the church at large, we have to do a better job of celebrating the makeup of different guys and girls, different leaders for who they are, understanding that, you know, God has wired us differently to play different roles in his kingdom. And, uh, you know, some of us are long term stay kind of guys. And some of us are, uh, let's go somewhere new and start it, guys. And I always think about when Paul left Ephesus, right? And the elders are, are weeping, and, and, but he's still going to leave because he's Paul. You know, that's, that's, right. that's what right. he does. He's not Timothy. He's going to leave, right? Well, so, and we uh, need I mean, we need, yeah. we need all of the above. We don't need just, you know, one or, 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 or this or that. So uh, yeah. we need people planning churches. We need people replanning churches and revitalizing churches. We need people who are coming to establish churches and staying for a long time. We need all of those, you know, and uh, like you said, God's wired each of us differently. And he's wired churches different. You know, one of the things we talked about before we came on air here was how God has provided through uh, certain churches or certain groups or networks the ability to see the need and to even resource the need for planting new churches. And where you're at, it sounds like God's really up to something there. Tell us a little bit about how uh, your church there 
and, uh, and the network you're involved in. Tell us a little bit about those and how that came about and what you guys do. Yeah. So when I met, I mentioned earlier, when I met, when I was going through that season of unrest and saying, man, you know, God, things are great at City Church, but my heart was breaking for, for other parts of the city. And I think when churches are planted and they grow, they, they, they always kind of reach a point in their life cycle where they're either going to kind of take a deep breath and say, we made it, right? It, it's such a fight to make it as a church, particularly in an urban environment in the, in the northern part of the United States. So I, I think there was this big kind of existential moment for us as a church. Are we going to kind of take a breath and say, hey, we made it. Let's settle in to doing what the church has done for 2000 years now in our neighborhood, which is a beautiful thing, by the way, to do. Or, hey, are we going to continue to reinvent, continue? And I, and I think uh, our, our elders were divided. And when I say that, I think it was eight to one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, The other eight guys wanting to say, hey, let's just, let's just do the regular everyday work of, of disciple making, which by the way, is the biblical work to do. And then there was one guy saying, yeah, but you know, what about, we need to see this happen in more and more neighborhoods. And, 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 and honestly, the Lord used not just the, the unrest, but the high opinion I had of the other elders that I was in, in, in ministry with and saying, boy, if they're not where I'm at, it, it's me who needs to go. It's, it's not, you know, it's, it's not them. And, and so all that swirling in my head and, and I meet uh, Joe Coffey, uh, who's the lead pastor at this huge suburban mega church that I, I didn't know existed in a town that I didn't know existed, you know, kind of outside the city. And we met through a mutual friend. And it was one of those relationships where, you know, as soon as you meet people, you just hit it off right away. And, and it was like, that was like that when I met Ed Litton, by the way, it was like that uh, when I met Joe. And I was sharing with him my heart for, for the region and for the neighborhood. And, and the year before, they had run a $1 million budget surplus, right? And, and Joe, yeah, I know, I know. As a church planner, it's like, that's like eight years. <laughs> But, but, you know, one of the things that Joe, and Joe's such a phenomenal leader, and this church has such an open hand. So their posture to that was to say, our vision is too small, right? Mm -hmm. Our vision is wow. too small. Our budget, our, our resources should never exceed our vision. So Joe's kind of thinking, hey, what else can we do? And I'm thinking, hey, what about the region? And so I began to map out to him a plan for starting a network in Northeast Ohio that would take on the mantle of saying, hey, every community in Northeast Ohio needs a gospel preaching church. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of areas of the country, there are whole communities where we don't have a single one. Maybe not, that's not hyperbole. That's not, I don't mean a certain tribe or a certain denomination, but we don't even have one. And, and I began to map that out to, to Joe. And eventually Joe said to me, okay, uh, you know what? I think we're gonna do it at Christ Community Chapel. And I was like, man, that's amazing. You, you know. And he said, well, just one caveat. And I said, okay, what's that? And he said, he says a little bit like when Pharaoh said this to Joseph in Genesis said, hey, uh, you have the vision, you come lead it. And, yeah. he, said, and he said, it was, a, it was one of those moments where he says, we're only going to do this hmm. if you come lead it. And I remember going back to my elders and saying, I don't know how I turn this down, right? I mean, how do I, and, you know, I said, you guys are going to keep doing this gospel centered church, whether I'm here or not, I, you know, I'm, I'm just a piece. But these other neighborhoods, you know, if I don't go, are maybe not going to get that. And if I do go, and so, uh, so through a lot of tears and 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 prayer and 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 all that, we decided to take on the challenge. And then I spent about a year visiting all over the country, um, all the church planning networks I knew. I spent, you know, went out and visited Hope Church in, in Las Vegas. I, I went out and 
uh, saw what McLean Bible was doing in DC, uh, just a lot of churches that were doing it well. And I just asked a question, hey, if you could do it all over again, what, what would you do differently? And then I, I built a network, Orchard NEO, which stands for Northeast Ohio, uh, on the backs or on the shoulders of those other networks saying, well, I, I do get to start over. So I'm going to learn from what you've done. You know, Isaac Newton once said when they said, uh, you know, how, are, how have you made so many contributions? And he said, well, if I see further than everyone, it's because I stand on the shoulder of giants. And, you know, I was just in a position to be able to learn from those networks. And so we started the, the network about two years ago and uh, have now, we're on our third and fourth church plant now. So believe it or not, we've identified 60 neighborhoods in Northeast Ohio of at least 5,000 people or more that do not have a single effective gospel preaching church. And Lord willing, our mission is in the next 30 years to turn that 60 into a zero so that every community in our our region uh, has a gospel preaching church. That's awesome, man. What a vision. Yeah, getting me pumped. Well, a couple things. So first of all, what an awesome name for a pastor, Joe Coffey. I mean, you can't get better than that, man. (laughs) I mean, what a great name. And then the second thing is, yeah, I just want to, I don't want to, I want to meet the guy. I now. need to meet yeah. Joe. Yeah. But, uh, so I want to ask a couple of questions related to what you just said. Yeah. Cause I'm curious. I'm curious. And if I'm curious, I think probably our listeners and, and those watching probably are too. So number one, how did you identify those 60 communities? All right. Yeah. And secondly, tell us a little bit about the process uh, that you have for the network. Cause you've got this vision, right? Well, what's the process to be able to, You've identified those communities. Now, how do you get a church there? Tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah, great question. So the first one is we established four criteria. So when you say, the minute you say effective gospel preaching church, you know, everyone's antenna goes up and they say, okay, what do those words mean? What does effective mean? What is gospel centered? So we said, okay, we're looking for four things. Very simple. And uh, some of these criteria are objective. And then some of them, you know, are a little uh, subjective. So The first is we were looking for what we would call historic Orthodox Christianity. So Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, right? Just uh, who is Jesus? Who is God? Is the Bible true? Uh, Overwhelmingly, churches in our region failed that test, right? So the other ones I'm going to say are far less important. Uh, But overwhelmingly, the majority of churches we turn away, we turn away, or neighborhoods where we can't find a church, we say we cannot find a single church that affirms uh, historic Orthodox Christianity. Uh, and that is just the state, I think, uh, of the church uh, in our region. You know, even though Cleveland and the greater Cleveland area is in the Midwest, it really feels a little more like a Northeastern uh, city and, and culture. It's very post-Christian. So uh, that's true of a lot of our neighborhoods. The second criteria is we look for a biblical understanding of sexuality. So the reason for this is because this is a little bit of kind of the Rubicon of, of our day, I feel like. Uh, what, what you believe about sex says is really a good indicator of what you believe about the Bible and, and its truthfulness and whether or not you are willing to, to go with God over and against culture, right? And so uh, we're looking for that to say, okay, you said you're Orthodox, right? Now let's take a hot button issue. Are you willing to, to go uh, where God wants you to go in, in this way. And then most of the churches that do not meet our criteria, they fail on, on that front. Uh, the third category is you have to have at least 100 people. Now, I want to be clear. My, my dad is the pastor of a small church. My father-in-law is the pastor. I love small churches. I grew up in a small church. 
but a lot of these communities have 50, 60,000 people. So uh, if they, we can find a gospel preaching, Bible believing church there of 50 people, we praise God for that. But we also think that neighborhood needs quite a few other churches. Now, on this point, I always say we, we plant churches to reach lost people and to disciple them. We do not plant churches to take people from other churches. So one of the things we train our church planners to do is, you know, don't let people leave a good church in your neighborhood. Send them back, right? Send them back. Uh, and we try to live by that. So, uh, but we do think more, most communities need not eight, eight, another church. They need 20 other churches. So, and that's probably a podcast for a different day. Uh, the fourth criteria is you have to have a decent website. So that speaks to uh, how mindful you are about non-Christians and your community engaging your church. Now, you notice I didn't say you have to have a great website, right? That, that's not, but if you have a website that hasn't been updated in two or three years, uh, then what we know that that means is that you are an insular community. That is not thinking because when people move to your neighborhood or people in your neighborhood say, hey, I'd like to check out a church, uh, they're going to Google. That's right. If you're not mindful of that. Then, then we think, you know, you did, now I can honestly say this. We have never, ever had a single church that hit our first three criteria that failed our fourth one. Okay. So I know that's the subjective one. We have never actually flunked a church uh, for that one, even though it's on the list. So when I say that, I think we would all say that's a pretty low bar I've set. Historic Christianity, yeah. biblical sexuality, and at least 100 people, decent website. When I tell you there are 60 communities of 5,000 people or more in Northeast Ohio, I'm telling you uh, that, that they don't have a single church that meets that criteria, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that becomes then our mission field. By the way, I just want to add that we have other churches in our region, praise God, who are thinking about church planning. And if they start a church in the community, uh, in one of our target communities that reaches our criteria, we take it off our list. So the end goal is a church planted in the neighborhood. We don't care who plants it, right? So uh, it's a church planting is a team effort. I wish it were more of a team effort than it is, um, but it is a team sport. So, uh, and then to answer your second one about what the network looks like, you know, we are in a really unique position. I was telling you guys this before the podcast. Uh, my experience, which is limited, is that the church planting arena is dominated by two large kind of groups. The first are large churches who have a lot of resources who are really there. They call it church planning, but what they're really looking to do is replicate themselves, um, franchise themselves in, in communities. And that can work in similar communities to their home community. The less similar a community gets, the harder that is. Um, and then you have church planning networks that have a ton of knowledge and really empower planters to enact their vision, but they have no resources, right? So uh, what we've been able to do in God's grace is we are a network entirely run by church planters, uh, but fully funded by a very large, generous church. So to my knowledge, we're the only church planting network that actually pays our planters a full-time salary with benefits, does not require them to fulfill any other role. So they don't also work as a youth pastor or an intern, or a, they, they spend a year getting ready for their plant, receiving coaching and training in their neighborhood and in their context, open door to any of our members they can convince to leave while we try to push our members out, especially if they live in those neighborhoods. And including the first year of planting, it's a two-year commitment, one year of training and one year of planting. And in the year of planting, the church pays all the bills. So we, if you rent a space, buy equipment, 
pay all the bills. We also supply a part-time worship leader with great internship uh, for that. And even all the internal giving that our church planners take in their first year of planning, we just simply keep in the bank so that when we send them off into independence, we actually give them all that money. Mm -hmm. So the idea is after one year of existence, you have leadership in place, you have structure in place, and we're able to give you what's usually a pretty healthy amount of money to say, hey, now you have a nest egg, go reach your neighborhood. So it's a pretty phenomenal program. And the greatness of it honestly speaks to the generosity generosity of our congregation uh, more than it does any of us who work on, on the Orchard Network. I feel like we've got some people who are probably thinking, I think I need to move to North. Come on. Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah. Well, you mentioned how your local church is is not relying on uh, other networks or whatever, but God has gifted and blessed and resourced a church to plant many churches. And that's a rare thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, these days on the scale of a one to five, you know, uh, a church that's not multiplying, not growing, it's declining or dying versus churches who are growing steadily. And then on the, the other end of the spectrum, those churches who are multiplying, this sounds like God is using a multiplying church to bless the kingdom. And it sounds like you guys have not just great standards and, and good research that's been done, but you have a heart to do things in a kingdom way. So we, we as failed church planners are probably thinking, man, where was something like that's this? Right. That's right. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I will say a lot of what went into Orchard when we were building it was uh, me saying, what do I wish I had when I was a church planter, right? How, how do I wish I, I would have been uh, supported? Now, we planted with the North American Mission Board at the very beginning of Send North America, a vision I love and right. believe in, and they were tremendous to us. But on the local level, um, you know, again, the, just the people being able to pour into you, the, the time uh, they could spend with you. Yeah. The only thing I would change in what you said is we're doing it independent of other networks. What I would say is that's true in the day to day. But man, oh, man, uh, we have learned so much from other networks. And, and we really do. We, we stand on their shoulders uh, in, in what we've done. I, I learned a lot uh, and probably avoided a lot of mistakes uh, that we would have made. Uh, the one thing, like I give you an example of that, though, the one, some ways that we tweaked it is, um, you know, I think there's a misnomer in the church planning world. This is a little controversial in the church planning arena. And that is that uh, great church planters uh, are also great fundraisers. You know, and that is, yeah, I don't think that's true. Uh, no, so my background, uh, like I, I said, was is working in politics and, I, you know, fundraising was part of that. But the skill set it takes to raise money is not the same skill set it takes to make disciples. We can, we can agree with that. Yeah. And I got to be honest with you. It's a little frightening to me that we would associate uh, the, the two. It's a little even theologically scary. But uh, I think what what I believe is that a lot of times the, your best church planners are guys who came to faith later in life, who, who understand what, the way a person thinks when they're not a Christian. But they're also the people who have the less robust network. They didn't grow up in a church. They don't have a church to support them. So, you know, what being able to look at a guy who has a gleam in his eye, right. And say to him, brother, you, you are a church planter, right. You're not just a cantankerous student pastor. You, you are a church planter. Uh, and, and to say to him, I don't need you to be a fundraiser, mm. right. That's a, that's a different job. I don't need you to do that. Uh, and again, I'm able to do that. I mean, it's the very first time I preached at Christ community chapel about church planting, a guy came up to me after the service and said, hey, uh, 
how much does one of those cost? And I said, well, a church plant? He goes, yeah. And I said, well, all in, I don't know, $150,000, $200,000. And he took out his checkbook and wrote a check right then. Right. So, so it's one thing for me, it's one thing for me to get on a podcast and talk about this, but less I got that guy behind me, right. Who's just a local businessman doing that. We, you know, we can draw all the things we want up on paper. So praise God for a church. That's Absolutely. Man. Uh, that that's so exciting to hear and yeah. uh, to think about. And it is, I mean, it's just praise God. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I feel like I've learned in my own experience is, um, I really believe that God is more passionate about reaching lost people and making disciples and using the local church, in this case, planted to do that than I am. Mm. And, and what I have found is that when I take him up on that, right, when I say, okay, God, I'm going to step out of this because I believe this matters to you. Uh, he, he always comes through. So, sometimes I think we put all the emphasis on faith on God's power or God's ability and praise God. I mean, th- those things are true, th- but we forget that, that this is his passion. I mean, the, the great commission church planning as a, a means of fulfilling the great commission, it's his idea. So uh, I have always felt like he beats me to a good idea. You know, when I get there, he was already there and ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two things. First, Zach, uh, I don't feel like this conversation is over, even though our time on this episode is coming to a close. So we're going to have to follow up. We've got we've got more questions. That's right. Uh, That's right. Second, uh, as we do close up our time together today, uh, we've talked a little bit about, you know, your story, your background, and probably some people watching or listening maybe have a background, maybe not in politics, but maybe they're coming out of uh, some secular a career that they thought they were headed into and God just completely changed their, their trajectory. And now God's put them in ministry somewhere. Maybe they do have that restlessness in their heart too. How could you encourage somebody to kind of test and know that the spirit is at work in their heart and their life uh, to see if maybe God's called them to, to be a church planter and how can they surround them with a church or a network or with people who can support them and equip them to do that? That's great. Cool. Great questions. Uh, let me try to be brief in answering them. I, I think I would just say um, three things. One is, I think the the first test of restlessness, I think, is whether you're you're being driven to something or away from something. I think the distinction really matters, right? I think a restlessness that is a pushing away from something uh, is a restlessness that needs to be question. It needs to be challenged. Sometimes that's just fear. That's just anxiety. That's pride and not wanting to defer to authority. There are a lot of things that can motivate that. I think a restlessness that comes from God is a restlessness that has a glimpse of what can be, right? A restlessness that is moving towards something. So, you know, I know when I sit with a guy who's asking me, am I a church planter? Uh, By the way, I love to have those conversations. And just encourage anyone listening to this to go to orchardneo.com if you want to talk about that, even if you have no interest in coming to Ohio. If I can be helpful to you as you think about church planning, I'd love to do that. But I'm always listening for, is what's motivating this uh, dissatisfaction with their current church? Or is what's motivating this a burden for a kind of church that God would want them to start? So the first thing would be, 
are you running from something? You're running to something. Sometimes the best way to know that is, is to say what triggers the restlessness, right? Um, and to figure out wh when is that happening? The second thing, and this is, they're connected, is, is this is why community is so important, right? Inviting other people to kind of exegete your restlessness, right? To say, it sounds, that sounds like you just need to do some repenting or some reconciling or man, brother, that sounds like God is giving you a vision. Other people are so helpful in sorting out that. I mean, I would never have been a church planner if it hadn't been for a lunch I'd had with a guy in St. Louis who listened to everything I had to say and said, man, it doesn't sound, it sounds to me like God's giving you a vision for a local church. You need to go do that. So what I would say is if you feel like, no, I'm running to something and everyone around you is saying, I feel like you're running to something, then I think you need to explore it, right? And I'd be happy to help with that. The other thing I would say is it's so important for people in the church, not, not even staff, to, to, and this is going to sound weird, but to be generous. I, I think we sit on dreams in the church because we don't think they can be reality. And I mean, good dreams, kingdom dreams. And I think that's why it's so important for people to go to the pastor and go, listen, uh, I want to give. And I don't want to give for what we're currently doing. I'm already doing that, right? I want to give because I believe God wants us to do more. And we may not even know what that more is yet, but I, I, here I'm giving so that because I believe there are a generation of people in the church who maybe are in secular jobs right now, or maybe are in ministry jobs that are not the right ministry jobs, and they have dreams, good dreams, visions of how to reach the next generation, of how to make disciples, of how to grow the church. And, and they're not just not sure that those dreams can become reality. It's the generosity of other people. You know, you can't see in my office behind me this way, I have the original membership covenant of my church that I started in 2011, signed by the 14 people who helped me start the church. Wow. Their generosity, not just financially, but of their time and their energy, of their encouragement, helped this dreamer turn something into a reality, a church that's turning in God's grace 10 this year. And even though I'm not there, it's doing amazing things. So to the dreamer, I'd say exegete your restlessness in community. But to everybody else, I would say, man, let's start writing checks that dreamers can cash for the glory of God and the good of the kingdom. Man, that's awesome. Uh, what an encouragement. And, uh, you know, you got me pumped. So uh, I know it's been an encouragement to, to those watching and listening. So Zach, again, thank you so much for spending some time. And we're definitely going to catch back up with you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right. And for the rest of you, we'll see you next time. God bless you. Thanks for watching and listening. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Church Leadership Podcast. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and even review our podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. 